Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, happy 4th of July to everybody watching, whether you're in one of our in-person services or you are watching online. We are so glad that you're here, and I hope you're having a wonderful 4th of July. I hope that you are grateful for the freedom that you have, and I hope that you're willing to act and fight for the freedom that other people still don't have. Uh, But more than the freedom in the natural, I hope that you are enjoying and are grateful for the freedom that you have in Christ, and I hope that you're willing to act and fight for the freedom that other people don't yet have in Christ. That is why we are church, to give witness and declare the freedom and the forgiveness from our sin that Christ has given us. We want to give witness and declare that to the world. But in order for us to declare that freedom, to declare that forgiveness, we have to receive it for ourselves. We can know something to be true, but not feel like it's true. For example, it is a fact Uh, that flying in an airplane is a lot safer than flying in a car. In fact, I can show you all kinds of data that say that you are 2,200 times more likely to die in a car crash than a plane crash. That is true, but it doesn't feel true, right? Because most people are are way more afraid to fly than they are to drive. And, And I mean a lot of Christians who know that they are forgiven. They don't feel they are forgiven. And this is huge for your joy, for your worship, and your witness. Because what's universally true about all people is that we fail, that we make mistakes, that we sin. Uh, regardless of background, race, gender, whatever, we all fail. If you're new to Christianity, what brings us together is not our success, it is our failures. What we're coming together every week, we're not coming together every week to celebrate our success. We are coming together every week to celebrate the one who loves us and forgives us despite our lack of success. Jesus loves the world, so he loves failures. Red, yellow, black, and white failures are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the little failures of the world. And the people in the Bible were no different. In fact, unlike other bits of ancient literature, uh, the Bible doesn't hide the flaws of its heroes. In fact, it seems to go out of its way to expose the flaws of its heroes. And one of the great heroes in the Bible, perhaps the greatest, um, was also one of the most flawed, that is King David. King David was described as a man after God's own heart. He was tall, dark, and handsome. Bible says in both face and form, compassionate, courageous, a warrior, poet, musician. He had it all. He kills Goliath. He rises to fame as one of the greatest kings. And in fact, he was considered the greatest king in all of Israel's history. But there was a moment where he fell deep into sin. Um, He committed adultery, rape really, Uh, lied to cover it up, and then eventually murdered um, the husband of the one he committed adultery with. Um, and in and, and 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, 27, it says this thing that David, David thought he got away with it, but it says that this thing that David done had displeased the Lord. And so through the prophet Nathan, Nathan comes to David. David thought he got away with it. He kind of moved on with it. Then Nathan comes and exposes the sin 
uh, in a loving, gracious way, and in, in a way that only um, that took a lot of wisdom, took a lot of grace. And I hope you have someone like this in your life. I hope you have someone in your life who is willing to be bold enough and strong enough to confront you with sin. Nathan confronts David with sin. He, he sees it. He sees the mirror. He, he gets plunged in the horror of self-discovery, of knowing what he had done, got plunged in the depths. And we get a summary of what David uh, says about this in 2 Samuel 12, 13. Um, Psalm 51 expands upon it, and we'll get into that here in a minute. But 2 Samuel 12, 13 says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Yeah, you sinned against the Lord. But what's even more amazing is the next half of that verse. Nathan said to David, the Lord God has put away your sin. Now, this is outrageous. I mean, Uriah is dead. Bathsheba has been raped, but David is forgiven just like that. And this isn't the only time. Like if you read throughout the scriptures, I mean, God just, I mean, the thief on the cross. You know, I, I don't, we don't know what this guy did. I mean, he's called a thief, but he, um, he's being crucified. He's being murdered and he had to do something horrible. And he says, you know, I want to be with you in paradise. And just like that, Jesus forgives. How is that possible? And there are many people who, you know, I've, I've witnessed the people who are just like, you're, you're explaining the gospel and they're just like, God can never forgive me. No, he will, he will, he will. No, God, God can never forgive. I, what I have done is too bad. God can't forgive me. God can't forgive me. And David's in this situation. David did something horrible. And, Dave, and the, but just like that, it says the Lord put away his sin. Well, how is that? How is that possible? How is that right? How is that just? Well, Romans 3.23 helps us out. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just in case you forgot, we all sin. Everybody is in the same place. All have fallen short. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. But we can be justified by his grace as a gift. It's something, we don't deserve it. We don't earn it. It's a gift. Here's how it happens. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this is all about Jesus, whom God put forward. Okay, he presented Jesus as the propitiation by his blood. That is the sacrifice, a mercy sacrifice to be received by faith. So we have to receive it. He's done it outside of us. We didn't ask for it. We don't deserve it. He did it outside of us, but you and I have to receive it by faith. That means we believe it. We trust it. We depend upon it. We live as though it is true. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, that is, he passed over sin, it was to show, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, right? Because, a, you know, a judge that, let, that passes over murder, rape, lying, doesn't seem just. But he is the just one. And he is the justifier. He, that is, he is the one who pays the price of those who have faith in Jesus. The sin of David would be outrageous. The sin of any of us would be outrageous if God just simply sweeps it under the rug. But those who have faith in Jesus, according to Colossians 2, it says that he takes the record of our debt. He takes, all, you know, there's a, there's a, a stack of charges against us, a legal demand, a big stack, a really big stack. And if you put your faith in Jesus, 
he takes that stack, he puts it in the hand of Jesus and he nails it to the cross. For he who knew no sin became our sin so that you and I and David could have the righteousness of God so he could pass over. Nobody is getting away with anything. God is just. And he has anger towards sin, just like you and I have. We see people do things that we don't think is, is right, you know, whether it's murder, racism, whatever it is. And we're filled with anger. God is too. He has anger towards sin. And it says that his wrath was poured out on Jesus on the cross. You want to know what Jesus, you want to know what uh, the Father thinks about sin? Look at Jesus on the cross. And here's what the Bible says. It says that the outrageousness of our sin, the sin of David, the murderers, the liars, all of them, is outdone by the outrageousness of the death of Jesus on a Roman cross. Where sin abounds, and oh, does it abound in our world, grace abounds all the more. The outrageousness of the death of Jesus is greater than the outrageousness of billions and billions of sinners, you and I included. The fact that God forgives people may be a new concept to you. And I hope today that you would receive it as truth. But there are a lot of us who have like logged that intellectually, but we haven't logged it subjectively. We, we know that we know it's an objective reality that God forgives us, but it's not a felt reality. We don't feel it. We don't, it's mechan our Christian walk is mechanical. You know, we prayed a prayer when we were eight, 18, whenever it was, and we just kind of like are coasting through. No wrestling, no struggling, no pleading, no singing. You can't read the Psalms, especially this one, and think these guys are just kind of like going through the motions. They're machines. I mean, they're wrestling. They're, there's angst and there's passion. And, and, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about with the rest of our time, talk about how we can make this objective reality that God forgives sinners, how we can be a felt reality in our heart. Jesus taught us to, to pray this prayer every day that we would pray for daily bread and that we would pray for, for as we forgive others, that God would forgive us. Now, does God not promise to give us all things? Yeah, he'll give us all things because he's a good God and it has nothing to do with us. But he still says, pray for daily bread. And has God forgiven us? Yeah, he's forgiven us. Why does he pray for us for, that we should ask for forgiveness every day? Here's why, because... He, we can know that he supplies all of our need, but if we're not engaging him and asking him, it'll never be a felt reality. And the same is true when it comes to forgiveness. It's not a felt reality. So what, is, what does David do? Here's what I'm suggesting we do. We, <clears throat> I'm suggesting that we do what David does and we repent, but we repent fully and with our whole heart. The first thing that we see here is that he turns to God for mercy. 
He has this awareness that he is in need of God's mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, it says in verse one, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. So he knows that he needs mercy and he knows that he has sinned against God. It says very plainly in verse four, I have sinned against you and you alone. Now you may be thinking, what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? Um, Well, what makes sin, sin? is our attack on the nature and character of God. Sin is vertical, but we hurt people. Bathsheba was hurt. Uriah was hurt. We hurt people, uh, but we sin against God. We sin against God. And that's the difference really between remorse and repentance. Remorse is, is horizontal. Repentance is vertical. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Peter declares, repent so that times of refreshing can come. Renewal. Whereas worldly grief, just feeling bad about what you've done, being remorseful, seeing the vertical damage only produces grief. Worldly grief produces remorse, regretting how your actions affect other people. Now that's a part of it and there's restoration and that's another sermon. Remorse though just gets you to beat yourself up. Oh, I'm so stupid. I'm so clumsy. I can't believe I did that. It gets you to hate yourself. But feeling bad about the situation does not make the situation better, doesn't make you better, which is why the word repent isn't so popular because we don't like to feel bad about ourselves. In fact, that's why you had left the church before. You go to church and you just felt rejected because they're just telling you to repent all the time. And just like you just feel bad, you feel bad, you feel bad. And you only feel liberated when you walk away from the church. But repentance and remorse are totally different. They get confused, but they're different. Repentance is not simply being remorseful about the consequences that you have on others. That's the the second sin to the first sin, which is turning your back on who God is. Some people don't repent because they don't feel bad about what they've done or they look at the person that they've hurt and they think they deserve it because they're seeing repentance as really just being, am I remorseful and not remorseful? But repentance has, has, is, is something we, we do with God. To lie, to steal, to murder, to covet is the second sin to a first sin, which is not trusting in the goodness of God that he's loving and is able. And that's, and, and that's why if you go back to the garden, you go back to where sin originated. What was Satan's lie? Satan's temptation was, and, and how he got them to sin was God doesn't love you. God doesn't know what you need. God doesn't want you to reach your full potential, but I do. So here's my advice. Go your own way. So true repentance isn't just, isn't just acknowledging the hurt that you've caused others. That's a part of it. But it's understanding that, that you've turned your back against God and you need to turn your back, you need to turn back toward God. So what caused you to commit the sin horizontally was that you turned your back on God vertically. Remorse gets you to hate yourself. Repentance gets you to hate your sin. And then second, so one is, is, is turning to God, understanding that uh, you need to turn to God for mercy. Secondly, it's confessing the depth of your sin. David realizes he didn't just commit acts of sin, but actually um, he refers to his inborn corruption. He says, surely I must have been born into sin. The fact that he Uh, murdered and he lied about it and all these other things were just expressions of something much 
worse. And so he realizes that if God doesn't rescue me, I'll just keep committing this evil. In fact, when I've witnessed the people who, who, who they have a hard time with God forgiving people who sin because they know that they just keep doing it over and over and over again. And that's what David realizes. That's why he doesn't ask for a redo, but he asks for a rebirth. Remorseful people just like, give me another chance. Forgive me and give me another chance. Forgive me and give me another chance. David's like, you know, you can give me 10 million chances. I don't just need a redo. I need a rebirth. And that is the difference between a religious person and a Christian. A religious person just wants a second chance but they, under, they overestimate themselves and they underestimate God. A Christian is a person who realizes they are a terrible leader of their life and they fall upon the grace and mercy of God and they confess the depth of their sin and realize that they actually need a new life. And then when they experience this, this is the third part of repentance, is a desire to be different. And we need to be those who desire to be different. That is, that is what repentance is. It's, it's turning. It's, it's you're going in this direction and now you want to go in this direction. So it's not just saying I shouldn't go this way, but it's saying I should go that way. And we need to desire to be different. Christianity is not just a series of sinning and then say you're sorry. You know, I sin, I'm sorry. I sin, I'm sorry. That's not Christianity. That's country music. Um, so it's I fill up my sin bucket and I go, you know, confess to a priest or a pastor or whoever. And then I, you know, I go empty it and then I go back out and fill up my sin bucket. And that's my life. That's not what it means to be clean, to be new, to be different. It is to plead and ask for cleansing and for change. Verse two, uh, David says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Uh, verse seven, purge me with the hyssop. Hyssop was a branch. It was, you know, like if a, if a room was unclean, a priest would have to go in and do some stuff to, to make it clean. And, to, and in declaring it clean, he would take a hyssop branch and dip it in blood and, okay, now it's clean. David's like, I, I don't want a priest. I, you're my priest. I need you to declare in my life that I am clean, that I am washed, that I am whiter than snow. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to declare over you that you are that you are clean, that you are new. And it's this desire. He, he's pleading for renewal. It says, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew within me a right spirit. I also want to keep going back and making the same mistakes over and over again. I don't want to be unstable. I, I want to be unwavering. I want, to, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I don't want to just keep going back in the same mistakes. And then he says in verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing Spirit. He says, open, Lord, my lips and my mouth so I can declare your praise. Praise is what joy in God does when obstacles are taken out of the way. And that's what we need to pray for, is that we need to pray that God would restore joy of our salvation because there's something blocking us from praising. When there's not obstacles and barriers and sin, praise is automatic. And so David realizes that what's off here, um, in fact, what's interesting, I find interesting about this entire text, all 17 verses, David does not mention, hey, I need sexual restraint. Hey, you know, I need to not lie so much. Uh, he needed those things, 
but he realizes that that isn't the root cause. I mean, you might say, well, isn't you know, his lust, isn't that what started all of this? What the Bible says is that the, the root of all sin is our joylessness in the God of the universe. It's turning our back on him and choosing to go our own way. So David realizes that in confessing the depth of his sin and the darkness in his heart, the issue is not his sexual urges. It's his joyless heart in God. It's when joy leaves us that we start clicking on the computer screen. It's when joy leaves us that we start thinking about someone else who's not our spouse. It's when we engage in, it's, we gotta have, we gotta be different. We wanna be clean. We wanna be new. We want joy to be restored. There's obstacles keeping me from praising. But not only that, and this is where, this is a full circle. He's like, I wanna teach transgressors your ways and sinners return to you. David is not content just to be forgiven, to be clean, but he wants others to know about who God is. He wants God to use his brokenness. And look at this, he's in the middle of it. He's in the middle of his felt brokenness. He, he's not waiting to, he's like a victor, you know, a victor, like he doesn't sin and he's perfect and he's amazing to give witness. In the middle of his pain and his anguish and his brokenness and his struggle, he's saying, God, use my brokenness to be a blessing to others. Use my pain to heal others. That's what he wants. And that's what you and I should want. You and I, full repentance isn't just, oh, I made a mistake. It's like, okay, there's joylessness and, and, and I'm not praising and I'm not using my life for the reason that God has given me life. So, so David takes this objective reality. He makes it his, a real reality through full repentance. And I just wanna end by reminding us again of how this is all possible. And we actually see this in the text. In verse nine, he says, hide your face from my sins. Don't look at my sin anymore. Isn't that what we want? We don't want God to see our sin. We want others to see our sin. But then he says, cast me not or hide me not from your presence. The Hebrew word for presence, this word panim, literally means the face of a person. So another way to say this is, he's saying, hide your face from my sin, but don't hide your face from me. When someone really wronged you, you can't even look at the person. So for me to not look at your sin, I, I, you know, usually it means not being able to be in the same room with them. And that's often what we do. It's just like, I don't even want to look at you. I just can't look at you. I can't see you right now. Forgiveness is what allows you to look at somebody in the face because you're not seeing their sin, but you can see them. The reason why God could show David grace is because he was able to hide his face from his sin without hiding his face from David. So what did God do? Did he sweep it on the rug? No, we already talked about this. Did he let bygones be bygones? No. That would be incredibly unjust to Uriah and Bathsheba. God answered David's prayer, but it became at great expense. When Jesus was on the cross, his arms stretched out, emotional, physical, spiritual agony, Jesus looked to the Father for help. But for the very first time, when the Son looked to the Father, the Father didn't look to the Son. 
And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we know why. The father was hiding his face from the son so that the, the father could hide his face from our sin because he can't look at both. He can't look at us and he can't look at our sin at the same time. Our sin is hidden in Christ. He that knew no sin became our sin. On the cross, David's adultery and rape was laid on Jesus. On the cross, David's lying and murder was laid on Jesus. He bore the punishment for his sin and my sin and your sin. And this reality, even though it was veiled for David, he wanted it planted deep within him. So what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means not to ask for a second chance, but it means to ask for a second life. Not a redo, but a rebirth. It's understanding that we ultimately sin toward God. And from that sin, we sin, you know, we hurt other people. But our sin is to God. The, the depth of our sin is, is way more than we could ever would ever want to admit, but God loves us even that much more. The outrageousness of the death of Jesus on the cross far exceeds the outrageousness of our sin. And when we see that, once again, you know, we see this, we look at, we look at the world, we look at how people, we're like, man, it's outrageous. And this, it's like, and it's horrible and it's true. But what's even more true is the grace and mercy and wonder of God, the grace of God, the, the outrageousness of the death of Jesus. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And then we come to him and, and we, we ask for change and renewal so that he would take away anything that would keep us from joy in the Lord, that he would restore to us the joy of salvation. It's our joylessness in God that causes us to hurt other people and fall into sin. And then that we would be not only a people of praise, but we would be a people of purpose. And we would take the pain, we would take the sin and show to the world as really witnesses, look at what Jesus does. Look at the freedom, look at the forgiveness of God. Look how great he is. Yes, this is great, but this is even greater. He wants to fill your life with joy. He wants to forgive you, restore you, redeem you. Put a song in your mouth and give you purpose in your life. Let me pray for God. I just thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ or Jesus. I just wanna pray for those, anyone who doesn't know you. Just now's your moment. Now's the time you can turn to God. In fact, if, if, uh, if you're in one of our in-person services, find a pastor. If you're online, just click uh, in, the, in the chat box that you wanna give your life to Jesus. Um, you want to turn to him. You want him to forgive you of your sin. And for those of us who know this, just want to just take the moment right now to say, just admit that you need God to restore the joy of your salvation. That maybe your, maybe your, maybe your felt forgiveness is shallow because your view of God and your view of your sin is shallow. Jesus says that he who has been forgiven much loves much. I just pray, God, God, I want you to restore the joy of my salvation. And, and then more than that, I want you to open my mouth. I want you to remove anything that's keeping me from singing your praises. And then use my pain. Use the pain in my life. Use the brokenness in my life to bless other people, to heal other people. Use me as a witness for your glory. Amen.